Hello and welcome. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Lily. And this is Little Home Organised, a podcast dedicated to helping you declutter, get organised and reclaim time for the things you love. Even though we're on a Christmas hiatus, enjoying... Oh, mm, so much ham in my belly. (laughs) And potato salad. Mm. (laughs) Even though we're enjoying much needed time with our family, we just wanted to give you this little episode so that you could still feel like we are in your lives and in your ears. So this episode is brought to you by Kate from The Daily Dollop, and she is a nutritionist. The Daily Dollop is a podcast that is also produced by Casco Media, the production company that produces the Little Home Organised podcast. And we thought it would be wonderful for you guys to hear Kate's valuable nutritional information. She's all about getting rid of all the woo that's out there on the internet and giving you some fun, hard facts about nutrition. And she does it in a really cool way. So we hope you enjoy it. Hello, my name is Kate Freeman and this is The Daily Dollop. On this episode of The Daily Dollop, we're going to be talking about why we crave sweet foods when we're stressed, the lie of diet industry that says that you just need more willpower to overcome it, and I'm going to talk you through some tips on how you can start to manage your emotional eating and start to make some progress. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of The Daily Dollop. My name is Kate Freeman. I'm a registered nutritionist and founder of The Healthy Eating Hub. Fun fact about me is I hate cauliflower. It is so gross from the devil. When I was about 12, 15, 10, I don't even remember, but I made a deal with my mum that if I ate the cauliflower now, I'd never have to eat it again. I made that deal. Cauliflower is out of my life for good. Um, although I don't let that prejudice flow on into my nutrition advice as the proper professional that I am. So moving on to today's show, craving sweet foods when you're stressed. I want to say that we're in unprecedented times. 2020 has been a year we will never forget. For many of us, a year of hell, a year of highs, a year of lows, a year of uncertainty, so much stress and if there's any message that we've been receiving here at the Healthy Eating Hub, it's that how can I manage my stress? I just feel like I want to eat all the time and it's really impacting my weight loss or my health goals. What can I do about it? Um, and it's, a, yeah, it can be a really big problem. And I think, you know, we're feeling extra stressed at the moment, which is potentially leading to uh, eating habits spiraling out of control and I think it's also important to note right from the beginning that you do actually have a different decision-making ability when you're stressed Um, and you can't avoid being stressed like we're not always as perky as my ponytail is right now Um, sometimes we feel low and you know if you're feeling extra stressed and you've really noticed that um, overflow to your eating habits or if emotional eating has been something that you've struggled with your whole life 
this episode is for you. But I, I want to just preface everything that I'm about to say with the fact that there is no quick fix to this. I am not going to give you some amazing fandangled advice that you just, and you're, you're fixed. If I did have that kind of advice, it would be a million dollars. Just joking. But there's nothing like that out there that you can do. But there are a number of things that you can do around your routine, um, around your mindset that can start just getting you on a healthier path. So I want to just talk about just the problem with craving sweet foods in general. Because they're actually at the base level, there is no problem with feeling sad, tired, emotional, or stressed, and then wanting to eat something yummy. It's a completely normal response. I reckon it probably originates from our childhood. I don't really know that. You might need to ask a psychologist, and if you are a psychologist watching, please drop me a comment, I'd love to know. But I'd say it arises from our childhood, but we know for, from research that when we eat particularly sweet foods that we get a release of chemicals called neurotransmitters into our brain, things like serotonin and dopamine, they make us feel good. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to eat something yummy when you feel sad. And I think that right there is where you have to actually stop and go, I am not a bad, terrible person for wanting to eat something because I'm stressed. I think half the problem with stress eating and emotional eating is that it comes along with a lot of guilt and shame and that just actually compounds and makes people often feel worse about themselves. And trust me, you are not going to make positive change to your eating habits if you're coming from a place of worthlessness or shame or self-disgust. Stop that right now. You are not a terrible person. So Just know that the behavior in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it at all. I think what happens is is it sometimes starts to spiral out of control and it's being out of control that we don't like. And, And so if you're feeling like, okay, this is starting to impact my health or maybe I'm starting to put on weight or this is the main reason why I can't lose weight, then maybe it's time to start thinking about finding other coping mechanisms for your stress because there are a number of other things that you can do. But let's talk about some of the the woo out there, the nutrition woo that we're really good at calling out here at The Daily Dollar. And that is that in order to stop eating something that you need to make a rule about it. It's actually a really inferior way to approach your eating habits. So say you eat chocolate when you feel stressed, so you make a rule like no chocolate, it's not in my house, I'm not eating chocolate, chocolate is off limits. And we think that by making the rule, it's therefore going to help us achieve the outcome, which is not eating chocolate. Whereas in fact, it often does the complete opposite and we find ourselves (laughs) rebelling against the rule and eating all the chocolate. And what we end up doing is delaying the restriction until another day. Because deep down, you actually want to eat the chocolate because it makes you feel good and that's okay. But what we do is we're like, oh, I'll just eat the chocolate now and I'll I'll enforce the rule tomorrow. That makes you feel good. You don't feel as in conflict with yourself because you're allowing yourself to partake, but you're still being like the rule is still there. I'm just gonna start the rule tomorrow. But then of course, tomorrow becomes today. And right now, in the moment, you don't want to not eat chocolate. You want to eat it. So the the restriction gets delayed. And what we end up doing is doing a cycle of, I'll just eat now and I'll delay my restriction until tomorrow, only to find that 
that continually happens. Tomorrow never comes. We're always delaying restriction to another point and feeling completely frustrated. And having more willpower and trying harder is actually not the answer. And it's unfortunate that the diet industry, particularly you know, ones that promote getting shredded and lean, that require really drastic eating patterns to achieve that, they use these character traits to describe people who have success on these programs. Disciplined, They're, they use perseverance, like these really deep character traits that we all really admire in one another. They, we put them on this pedestal that, that if you can achieve this lean physique or you can overcome this desire to eat chocolate, that, that you are a motivated, disciplined, very strong-willed, high-character person. When it's just bull crap. Seriously, it is. It's a lie that you need more willpower to handle um, not eating chocolate. You need to be smart about it. And at, if that gets us um, to the point where we're starting to feel um, like worthless and like we're no good, then definitely you need to, to ditch that mindset that you, you just need to try harder. So here's what you can do to help yourself manage your sweet cravings. The first thing is you need to do is that you need to remember that you're an adult. I'm an adult, you're an adult. You can eat whatever you want. There are no rules. Take the rules away. You're an adult. Start to take responsibility for your food choices. You can eat the chocolate. You cannot eat the chocolate. Take the rules away. Give yourself freedom to genuinely make a choice and then start to take responsibility for your choices. So the first step is to then, once you've removed the rules, is to start to actually do some awareness exercises about whether or not you actually want to eat that food or not. Sometimes when we're really stressed and we just grab food, particularly if it's there in front of us or in our house, you find yourself, you're like, and then you're like halfway through and you think, I don't even know why I'm eating this. I don't even want to eat this or I'm not enjoying this. And we've just grabbed it. I'm sorry if that was a bad visual. But um, <laughs> we, we find ourselves just sort of knee-jerk reaction to grabbing the food. And so once you've taken the rules away, the first step is to just pause and just do a little check-in. Is this really what I feel like? Am I hungry right now? What is it that I'm actually feeling is chocolate going to help me right now? Do I genuinely feel like eating that? Could something else help me better? A walk or a glass of water, etc. Whatever you decide, whether you eat the chocolate or not eat the chocolate, is completely irrelevant. The point is, is that you gave yourself a moment to pause, check in, think about what you really needed and then made a choice accordingly. Sometimes you'll choose the chocolate. I've had plenty of times in my life where I've come home from a super crappy day where I've been really stressed and awful and, and actually opened the cupboard and been like, I'm going to emotional eat right now and rummage through finding something. And often just acknowledging the fact that that's what I want to do makes me stop and think, actually, is that what I want to do? And sometimes I think, yeah, and I make myself, I end up having a little piece of chocolate and I slowly and mindfully eat it and then move on. Or other times I'm like, actually, that's not what I want. I need to go and like yell at someone. No, don't do that either. <laughs> I need to go for a walk or I need to go and do something else that's good for me. Um, 
the, the main thing is, is that you're stopping and thinking about what it is that you truly need and doing some genuine self-care. So we've got removing the rules. We want to pause and reflect and actually think about what we need. The next step is if you do choose to eat whatever food, whether the chocolate or it's chips or it's your next meal, is that you want to start to practice mindful eating. So mindful eating can encompass a wide range of different activities and behaviors that we can't go into detail in this session, but it's about genuinely being in the moment while you're eating. If you're eating something while you're busy doing another activity, you're often not paying attention and you just keep popping the food into your mouth until it's gone. You know, when you are eating something like a biscuit or chocolate and then you go on the couch and it's not there but the, and you don't remember eating the last mouthful and you have no closure. It's so sad. But that's because we weren't being mindful. We weren't paying attention while we were eating it. Mindful eating, bringing ourselves to our present and really enjoying our food in that moment actually helps us sort of register that that, that, that experience happened and helps us then move on from it. So there's the three things that I want you to do um, moving forward if you're feeling, starting to feel stressed, is take the rules away. I want you to pause and reflect about what you really need to take care of yourself. If you do choose something to eat, I want you to eat it really, really mindfully and enjoy the heck out of that chocolate. It's delicious. Um, and if you are keen to find out more about the health benefits of dark cho chocolate, definitely check out a podcast called Thinking Nutrition, Dr. Tim Crow. He's my nutrition idol. He's very awesome. One of his recent podcasts is on that. But thank you for tuning into the Daily Dollop today. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Um, subscribe give me a like or five. That'd be excellent. And we'll see you later. On this episode of The Daily Dollop, we're going to talk about why outsourcing your meal planning is not a very good idea and how you can be a smart meal planner to help you stay consistent with your healthy eating long term. Welcome back to The Daily Dollop, everyone. My name is Kate Freeman. I'm a registered nutritionist and the founder of The Healthy Eating Hub. And fun fact about me is I like smells. I do, I really like to smell things. Like it's springtime now and outside when I take a big deep breath in, it smells good. I just like things that smell nice. Con consequently, bad smells really are not fun. Like when your husband farts in bed, like not cool, babe. Anyway, on with today's show, which is all about meal planning. And the key question I want to address is something that I've been asked throughout my career so many times, and that is, Kate, can you please write me a meal plan? And it sounds like an innocent request. Surely getting a qualified nutritionist or dietitian to write you a meal plan is a good idea. It, it sounds like a good idea in theory, but it's coming from this place of just tell me what to eat. I don't, I don't want to think about it. I just want you to lay it out there. I'll do as I'm told. Just tell me what to eat. And 
I get it. A hundred percent get it. Sometimes I feel like that too. Somebody just tell me what to eat, what to do. But the reality is, is that nobody knows your life like you do. And somebody can't write you a meal plan that will suit you perfectly. And there's a couple of reasons why somebody writing you a meal plan is not a good idea. And I call it outsourcing. And I think the diet industry has literally told you that you need to outsource your meal planning. You don't know what to eat. You are a terrible eater. So subscribe to our program and we'll give you all these beautiful recipes and these lovely meal plans and um, we'll tell you exactly what to eat. We'll give you lists of foods that you should and shouldn't eat and we'll dispel it all out for you. It'll be so easy. You won't have to think. All the thinking is done for you, right? And it sounds so appealing because you're busy, you're time poor, you're so tired of thinking. In fact, I reckon that the new modern disease, probably not a disease, that's probably not a good word, but the new modern peril is decision fatigue. Oh, so tiring to just constantly having to make decisions and think. How lovely would it be to just have somebody else think about your food? And so I get it. The appeal of programs that provide meal plans and just tell you what to eat is really, really high. The fact of the matter is, is that many of those meal plans online are not designed for you in mind. They're written for the masses. I've written meal plans that people have followed and they've gone to me, oh, that doesn't really suit me, Kate. And I'm like, I know, because I didn't write it for anybody in particular. I wrote it for hundreds of people to follow. Um, it doesn't surprise me that, that you can't stick to it because it doesn't suit your life. And even when I've written meal plans specifically to clients, I've asked them what foods they like and how they like, clients still don't follow the meal plan. And there's a few reasons why. One of those reasons is that meal plans just in general, probably through the filter of just diet culture and this pressure for the perfect diet and the perfect body, is that they foster this all or nothing approach. It's like I have to stick to this special quinoa porridge for breakfast and I've got my two nectarines for morning tea and then my tuna salad with lots of shredded kale in it toasted almonds and cranberries, right? Salad, which is great. But what if your nectarines aren't in season? What if you forgot to buy kale? What if you don't like tuna? All of these things matter and you end up thinking, because I can't follow this meal plan perfectly, out goes the baby with the bathwater and we think, ah, oh, stuff it. I'll start again tomorrow or I'll start again Monday. It's this real fostering of having to get the meal plan right and perfect that actually completely undermines your progress because as soon as you deviate from it, you either one, don't know now if you're doing it good enough to get results or two, you feel like if you can't get perfection, then you're not going to do anything at all, which is a really um, unhelpful mindset to adopt. So that's the first thing with meal plans is this whole all or nothing approach to eating. But the second thing with a meal plan, particularly one that was written for you by someone else that you've outsourced or it's a meal plan from the program, is it, it's, it doesn't take into account the fact that plans change and that you need to be flexible. So I don't know about you, I've got two children, they're 10 and nearly 12, and ever since I've had kids, my day never goes 
100% the way that I plan it. And holler out there, if you're a mum and you feel the same way, there is no way that I can stick to a meal plan exactly how it's laid out um, because my life changes. But the fact that I know what my nutrition needs to be, I know what my skill level in the kitchen is, I know um, some good food knowledge is that I can be flexible throughout the week as things change and I can adapt accordingly. I can also um, use my meal plan to help me. Sometimes when we outsource our meal planning to a, a program or um, we're trying to stick to a certain way of eating so we get results is that um, it becomes more cumbersome. You're having to spend more time in the kitchen cooking recipes that you've never cooked before, spending hundreds of dollars on ingredients that you never buy, feeling like, oh, this is taking so much mental energy to cook. Whereas if I plan my meals for me, knowing my nutrition needs, but knowing my routine and my food preferences and everything about myself, I can go, hmm, Monday nights, Carter has football training. I need to make sure I've got a really quick, easy meal on that night. Thursday nights, I hate the world. I'm tired. I'm cranky. That must be an easy dinner. Otherwise, we will get takeaway pizza from the shops because I just think I don't care anymore. And nothing wrong with takeaway pizza either if that's what happens. Sometimes I plan takeaway pizza into my meal plan. But I can, I can adapt my meal plan to suit me and serve me. It actually helps my week go better with my meal plan. So I guess at the end of the day, you want to be thinking about what's the meal plan really there for. If it's to help you achieve a particular result, so weight management or you're managing a health condition, then you really want to start to think about starting to learn the fundamentals of your meal plan. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about, and it's what my signature program does at the Healthy Eating Hub, is it actually equips people with nutrition knowledge and then shows them how to translate that into their life and make their own meal plans. Because the philosophy of um, give a man a fish and feed him for a day or teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime applies to the meal plan as well. If I just give you a meal plan, you can only be a healthy eater so long as you're following that meal plan. But if I teach you how to meal plan, how to meet your nutritional goals, how to be flexible and manage your life, how to um, adapt when things happen unexpectedly, then I teach you how to be a healthy eater for the rest of your life. And I give you the skills and the tools to be able to do that week in, week out, manage busyness and stress and craziness. So if you're keen to ditch the food guilt, to ditch the all or nothing approach to healthy eating, then I would suggest that you stop trying to follow outsourced meal plans that weren't written for you and start to learn some fundamental nutrition principles and apply them to your life. The first one that I want you to start with is eating more vegetables. And I know it sounds crazy boring and you're like, eh, where, Kate? But honestly, and a fantastic study, and I will link to it in the show notes, that looked at a bunch of different lifestyle factors and the risk of death and disease. It showed that by increasing your vegetable intake from one serve a day to five serves a day, decrease your risk of death 
and disease, from chronic diseases, by 20%. Like, what the heck? These people, this is, they didn't change anything else about their lifestyle. They were still smoking, still drinking, exercise levels stayed the same. Nothing else changed. They just increased their vegetable amount, and that gave them a health improvement. So if you can use some kind of organization strategy to plan your meals and include and ensure that you can include more vegetables into each and every day, you will be going a long way to one, helping maintain a healthy weight long-term and two, improving your health. Keep it really simple. If you're not consistently hitting your vegetable target, then no other special weight loss program is gonna work for you long-term. Guys, I hope you got heaps out of that today. Ditch the outsource meal plan, get stuck into learning how to do it for yourself couple of key things that will help you, I will link to them in the show notes, is the team and I have put together a comprehensive summary of organization and meal planning for busy people. It's a fully accessible page on our website with so much information about meal planning, how to do it, the key considerations, lots of information. Head over there and check that out. The other thing is, is if you've been touched by diet culture and you're feeling really stressed and frustrated about changing your eating habits, then take our diet personality quiz. It will actually help show you where you might be going wrong and give you some first steps. The link to that will be in the show notes as well. Thanks guys for tuning in. The Daily Dollop is all about finding a healthy, sustainable and realistic approach to healthy eating. Have an awesome day and we'll see you in the next episode. daily dollop i'm going to look at a fascinating piece of research around setting your health goals then i'm going to talk through the three key factors on how you set realistic health goals that you can stick to well welcome back to the show everyone this is the daily dollop and i'm kate freeman a registered nutritionist and the founder of the healthy eating hub and fun fact about me is that i freaking love condiments mayonnaise sauce, sriracha, mustard, mint jelly, friggin' aioli, I love aioli, kewpie mayonnaise, chipotle sauce. There are so many good condiments out there in the world that add flavor and excitement to food. I just really love them. I'm super into them. Um, I love adding them to my meals because I just am into food combos and flavor. There's a member of my family who's also into condiments and every time we visit, they're all like, check out this one, Kate. And I'm like, put it on my plate. I'm keen for it. So just, yeah, love eating just so I can add a condiment to it. Friggin' awesome. But on to the show today where we're looking at sticking to your health goals. You know, you make a decision to lose a certain amount of weight or you're going to run a marathon or you're going to do something big with your health. And then do you find that, you know, a few months later you haven't really done what you intended to do? Well, it's a pretty common problem with having health goals set and then not actually achieving them. And I believe part of the reason why that happens is due to diet culture. Because diets and programs and social media and just news stories around healthy eating and changing health behaviors 
They've brainwashed you into thinking that it should be easy. Now, I'm not big into conspiracy theories. I think they're not really, not a helpful way to look at the world. But from a diet perspective, I super believe that after years of being bombarded with dieting messages and different programs and marketing, is it all like, ah, health behavior change should be really easy. And I'll give you an example of some of the just the slogans that I found on the internet from a range of different online programs and diets, just so you can see what I mean. Things like, we've written you all the meal plans. We'll give you all the shopping lists. It's easy. Very little effort required. Lose weight in three simple steps. Shred fat fast. My, my personal favorite one is, though, of we've done the thinking for you. And what's happened is, and what I've noticed is when I meet clients for the very first time or people are inquiring about my program, they're like, oh, Kate, you know, like I want to lose weight and I want to set a great example for my children. And I do, I want to develop long-term healthy eating habits that I can stick to. And I just want to have this healthy lifestyle, but I don't want to have to think about it. And I, and then I think, well, I can't really help you then because there is an element of changing behavior and proper behavior change, like genuine behavior change, that requires you to think about it. You do have to, to think about when you're changing core behaviors because the truth is that achieving your health goals requires this behavior change. It, it's not the same as embarking on a diet or an eight-week eight week, you know, shred plan or a six-day cleanse that just requires you to like deviate from your life for a certain period of time and purpose while you're on this restrictive eating pattern. True health goals are achieved by genuine behavior change and that happening and it becoming part of who you are and what you do every day. But unfortunately, you know, like not all of our intentions actually translate into change and achieving your goals, as most of us know. So we might intend to eat one way and then we end up eating another, or we intend to exercise and then we don't do it. And the reason I believe we don't is because our goals and then our subsequent intentions to achieve those goals are unrealistic. And so how we eat is really quite ingrained in a lot of our automated behavior. And so we choose foods that make us feel good. We choose foods that taste good. We choose foods that leave us feeling satisfied. In a previous episode, I looked at research around the types of foods that we want to eat when we're feeling stressed. A key part is that we want to eat foods that are familiar to us. And so when we go from these default automated behaviors where we want to eat in a particular way, and then we go on this diet and we stick to a bland, unsatisfying, unfamiliar dietary pattern, we quickly find ourselves really unmotivated to keep going, especially if we're not getting results. But eventually the results will stop. They'll stagnate. They won't happen. Um, they might pause for a little bit. And then what are you going to do? You've got no motivation to stick to this eating pattern now that feels awful and hard work and you don't like the food and so of course we end up stopping 
And it's a pretty typical story. We start a diet, we stick to it for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. But after a while, because we were only ever temporarily sticking to this rigid eating pattern, we go back to old behaviors and we don't really make changes in the background here. But then there's this other sort of thing that happens to us where we don't even get started. So we don't even, our, our intentions to eat healthy are not even actioned at all. And we just keep doing our, you know, what we think are poor eating habits and we don't even get started on the new diet or the new health kick. And so what I want to discuss, and I've linked to this study in the show notes, is this fascinating study by researchers looking at setting realistic health goals. And so what they do in the study is they outline that goals are mental representations of desired outcomes, whereas intention formation is the process of committing oneself to achieving those goals. So we set a goal, all right, this is what I want, and then our intentions are all about committing ourselves to then making sure we we hit those goals in the future. And so there are a bunch of what we call health behavior theories, and researchers use these theories to just help figure out what are the, the factors that influence behavior change in humans, and in particular around health behaviors. And so leading health behavior theories suggest that intentions are the most immediate and important predictors of behavior. However, Research suggests that there's a substantial gap between intentions and health behaviors. Now, I love this because just from my own experience and, you know, previously not backed up by any research, I just have observed that people's intentions don't match up with their reality. And I frequently say that in nutrition presentations that I do or chatting to clients or when I'm training a new team member is I am going an important thing we need to think about when we're working with people and helping them change their eating habits is that their intentions don't align with their reality and that often they're not doing what they're intending to do. Well, in fact, there's science to back that up, which actually I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's what I've been thinking all this time. And so essentially what the study found and concluded is that goal realism influences how effectively intentions are translated into action. It's a little bit of a mouthful, that sentence that I got straight from the study. So basically it means the more realistic your health goal, the more your intention to achieve that goal actually translating, actually translate into doing something different and taking action. And so you can't actually change your behavior by without taking the first step and, and doing some kind of like action to do something different. And so, ah, oh, I've just thoroughly enjoyed reading this study and I hope you guys do too. And so what's even better is that the study then makes some suggestions based on some of the testing and the models that they designed around, well, what are the key factors that influence realistic goal setting? How do we set realistic goals? Um, yeah, so I want to cover those. So I've got three key factors around setting realistic goals. The first one is make sure that your intentions match your expectations. And so the way that the study outlined this is that the intention 
versus expectation distinction rests on the idea that a person may hold a really strong intention and sincerely mean to do a particular behavior, but then they recognize, oh, that the goal is pretty difficult and really hard and so have pretty low expectations of their ability to attain it. And so essentially what's going on is they've got this mis mismatch. They've got really high intentions to achieve this like really unrealistic goal and the way that we know it's unrealistic is because their expectations to be able to achieve their goal is like oh I'm probably not going to achieve it and so one way that you can assess whether your goal for you is realistic is whether your intentions and your expectations are the same and and that's actually really really important so you can go all right I'm going to set the goal then it's my intention to do particular behaviors to achieve that goal. Then look at that and go, how likely am I to actually do those things? Do I have a high or a low expectation of my ability to actually take action? And if you think, oh, I'm probably not going to do that, well, then you've set an unrealistic goal. It's a super cool test that you can do for yourself. The second key is that the, the study found that goals are more realistic when the goal is important and if a person engages in pathway thinking but not in fantasizing. Oh my gosh, I loved this. Fantasizing is a byproduct of social media. And I reckon, and this is just me, just putting my two bobs worth into the world, okay, not a psychologist, not a social media expert, but I reckon it's this this sort of fantasizing thought life that we do when we're comparing ourselves to what's on social media, right, and, you know, all these aspirational people and influences, is that it, that cycle can become really dangerous and start to affect our mental health. And um, but what's interesting is that it's, it basically um, is consistent with fantasy realization theory, which is a thing that I didn't know until I read this study. So love it that I'm learning things all the time through just putting this podcast together. But basically um, in the study, it, looked, it's, it showed that fantasizing predicted lower goal realism. So the more a person fantasized, the less realistic the goals that were set. And this is consistent with the fantasy realization theory that um, proposes that fantasizing about desired outcomes has negative consequences for behavior change. And so what we want to do is, is rather than fantasize and dream and wish, right, that we were healthier and, oh, if only I can be like that and look like that and, and do all these amazing things and eat like this, you know, then my life will be amazing. Uh, not a helpful thinking pattern. Don't let yourself stay there too long. Let's come back into pathway thinking where you're actually going, okay, how am I eating right now? What, does, what are some of the key steps that I can take to make a change? All right, let's, let's set this goal um, and which will require these behaviors. Yep, I'm fairly confident I can do those behaviors. Boom, away I go. And this is some of the stuff that we've, I'm working hard to build into my program so that you're actually being tasks with doing um, health behaviors that are realistic and that you can stick to long term. None of this crazy stuff that feels out of reach. All right, last key is don't try to change heaps of behaviors all at once. So we know that psychology suggests breaking behavior down into small achievable 
chunks because it takes mental energy to change an underlying behavior, particularly an automated one that might be happening subconsciously for you. And so being able to just focus on one part of your diet or one part of your day at a time is going to be a key part of helping you actually get to the guts of that behavior and start to change it for the better. Lastly, the study also mentioned that using SMART goals and setting SMART goals using the SMART is also the most influential treatment in helping set realistic goals. So that's the specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time-related goals. So don't forget to use that tool when you're setting your goals as well. Well, to finish up the session today, the findings of the study basically suggest that setting more realistic um, interventions should lead to greater health behavior change. So maybe this is the missing step um, for your future success. Have a think about that one today, team. If you're loving The Daily Dollar, please leave me a review. Chat to me over on my socials. I'd love to know what you think. Otherwise, have a fantastic day, team, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.